0: This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Good morning, everyone. Well, as part of our desire to build back better as we come out of the COVID crisis, we are sharing a set of mini series under the title build back better. Um, Mal has already done a brilliant little sub-series on one anothering, and you can watch that on YouTube, Facebook, or on our website if you haven't seen any of those episodes or you want to refresh your memory of them. Um, this mini-series today is called Emotionally Healthy Church, and is based on work done by my friend Jay Pathick, who leads um, Mile High Vineyard in Denver, Colorado, and on books by Pete Scazzaro under the term uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality or Emotionally Healthy Church. This is one of those books. And you can get hold of this book anywhere uh, from where you buy. You normally buy your books. Now, we wanna talk about emotional health because our emotions are central to everything that we do. And we believe that we cannot speak about spiritual health without also speaking of emotional health. Pete Casero suggests that our spiritual health is determined by our emotional health and that our spiritual health will never outpace our emotional health. I wonder if you've ever noticed how people can attend church for years and years and years and yet it doesn't seem to make them into better natured people. Um, You'd think that listening to sermons every week, uh, worshipping together, praying, serving on a team would make someone more like Jesus, that they would become more patient um, more kind, more gracious, more slow to anger um, and perhaps they would be better listeners. But let me make this more personal. How about you and me? Have you been transformed by your relationship with Jesus? Um, If I was to ask you how Jesus has transformed you, what would you say? Uh, Perhaps, um, as an exercise, you might want to consider writing in your journal just the ways in which Jesus has transformed your life, the ways in which Jesus has helped you be the person that you want to be, the ways that Jesus has helped you show up um, with other people, the way you want them to experience you showing up. I want to be honest with you and uh, tell you that I don't think I'm as emotionally mature as I would like to be. Just to ask my family, I'll ask my friends, I'll ask my colleagues now they 're such nice people you 're going to have to push them to uh, to tell you what they really think of me, how they really find me but um, and i 'm sure they 'd say nice things about me as well, but my kids could tell you about my quick temper, how i 'm the one who taught them how to swear. Um, they could tell you how their mom is more patient than I am when it comes to doing homework with them. Uh, they could tell you how I usually lose my temper um at least once when we 're on holiday altogether um and create um you know some sort of unpleasant memory um Claire could tell you how that 's my wife how I fall into self pity uh when things aren't going my way my way and how much I need to be right. Um, when we are having an argument with each other. She could also tell you how long she has to listen to me when I'm upset about something, and yet she she could tell you how impatient I am when she's upset about something and wants to talk to me about it. Um, my sisters could tell you um, how infrequently um, I get in touch with them. Um, my mom and dad uh, could tell you how I can be distant and not involve them in my day-to-day life. Um, My friends could tell you how uh, busy I often am and how annoyingly competitive I can be. Um, My colleagues could tell you um, that I am not usually quick to respond to emails and voice messages. They could also tell you that I really do love a good idea but often leave things to the last minute which can cause them significant stress. I could confess to many more areas of my life that display my emotional immaturity. I am the best example of how, despite being actively involved in a church for like 30 years, I am not um, emotionally and therefore spiritually mature, as I would hope to be, um, and perhaps as much as you would hope me to be as your church leader. But what about you? Uh, If we could persuade um, them to talk honestly about you, um, what would your spouse, your kids, uh, your extended family, your siblings, your friends, your colleagues say about you? Would they say that you are emotionally mature in every way? Spiritual maturity is absolutely linked to emotional maturity. And Jesus was absolutely clear about this. Let's have a look at the Bible. So if you've got your Bible or your Bible app out, let's have a look at Matthew 23, uh, verses 27 to 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy. And weakness. Now I don't know about you but I think Jesus is talking right there about me. Like so often the person that I want to be is not the person that I am on the inside. Uh, Jesus is highlighting if you like the integrity gap uh, between the inward and the outward lives of the Pharisees. The problem with the Pharisees is, is that they, they were known uh, for telling people um, that they were upright and moral and that everyone else should be like them uh, whilst inwardly, I think probably most people realise this, but clearly Jesus points out here, is that inwardly they were anything but that themselves. And that's why he uses such strong language to critique them for it and describe them. Now the Pharisees and me, and possibly you, demonstrate that it is entirely possible to pursue spiritual maturity whilst ignoring our emotional health, our emotional maturity. And the outcome of this is hypocrisy. And let's face it, that is a criticism that is often leveled at Christians. The hard reality is that if we wanna be spiritually mature, then we need to pursue emotional maturity with an equal passion because our spiritual health will never outpace our emotional health. Now, the image I'd like you to consider today is that of an iceberg. if what we know of each other on the surface is only one-tenth of reality, then what does the nine-tenths below the surface actually look like? Now, let me say this. You guys are a good-looking bunch of people. I've watched you. Um, uh, at Our Sunday services where we gather at the station, you know, we all put on our best face uh, when we get there, when we're, um, walking in, smiling, dropping our kids off at Vineyard Kids Church queuing for a cup of coffee in the cafe remember when we used to do all of that yeah well you guys you guys are brilliant at doing that you're brilliant at being nice and you are all super super nice church services are if you like i think like gatherings like that are like an echo chamber of kind peaceful pleasant behavior and frankly it's it's a really nice experience that's why people like going to church but the truth is and and we all know this right don't we that Everybody can seem perfect and sorted until you get to know them. And then you learn that there are any number of things going on beneath the surface. The truth is that you and I are wrestling with things, or rather you are wrestling with things that I don't know about. I'm wrestling with things that you don't know about. Although the more honest I get, the more you're hearing about it, right? Um, uh, And then there are any number of things that um, you're wrestling with that are emotional or difficult that you're not even sure what they are right? Over and over again, Jesus challenged his followers to examine those things, to look at those things and reflect on those things and pay attention to them. So um, we're going to read from John 8 verses 31 to 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What will the truth set you free from? Like, have you ever wondered that? Well, we are all influenced more by our past than we are willing to admit. The reality is that we are absolutely a product of everything that has happened to us from the moment we were conceived right up to this very moment that you're listening to me talk now. Some of those experiences were good, some were bad and many of them were more formative in our lives than we like to admit or perhaps have even considered before. I think that we've all got uh, places in our lives haven't we where um, we're kind of sort of ashamed or embarrassed um, or perhaps we wish that we'd done something differently. If you want a fun thing to do with your friends next time you're on a zoom call then just ask everyone to talk about their, their sort of their biggest mistake or their greatest regret. Um, something like something that they bought, you know, they get buyer's remorse or perhaps, um, you know, just like just a bad day or something like that. Um, and, uh, and just kind of get everyone to share their stories. Many of those stories will be funny, but there will be some stories that you feel uncomfortable about sharing because they are really painful. Like wounds from being abused by someone who you trusted. Um, Disappointments about life, ambitions, dreams that you have not realized or not been able to realize. Um, Traumatic events, um, grief, loss, fear, all of these painful experiences that you actually find really hard to talk about. In fact, they're so hard to talk about you'd rather not think about them. See, here's the thing. We make meaning from all of our experiences. We make vows to protect ourselves from bad experiences so that they don't happen again. Um, But we also make vows uh, to ensure that we can repeat good experiences that we really enjoyed. These formative experiences, and subsequently the vows that we make from them, um, multiply as we get older and and they scale up and they, they kind of affect different parts of our lives in different ways. Um, so, uh, for example, you might have learned as a child, um, um, your parents might have modeled conflict in this way that they just didn't do conflict and they would suppress and they might use passive aggressive techniques to kind of uh, get even with one another. Um, and you may not have observed that, but what you did observe was that you need to suppress. Uh, conflict and you need to put distance between yourself and so- with someone with whom you have conflict that might have been what you were modeled um, by your parents but then that multiplies out and scales up as you get older so that now as a 55 year old you use passive aggressive techniques um, towards your spouse and it's killing your marriage or um, your colleagues may describe you as someone who's difficult to get close to who's prickly and um, yeah and unapproachable formative experiences especially but not only from your first 30 years of your life can have consequences that reverberate throughout your whole life and the problem is that um, as we get older these patterns can harden and become irreversible. Um, These patterns can limit our peace and our joy and our hope. They can prevent and erode healthy relationships with other people and they can result in us hiding from one another hiding big chunks of our lives from one another because we're ashamed or embarrassed or it's just too painful and and, but not only do we do this with other people we do this with God as well which has echoes of course of Adam and Eve hiding from God um, in the garden of Eden now, some of you have read the books by C.S. Lewis called The Chronicles of Narnia. And in the, uh, the one called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's this story about a young boy called Eustace Scrubb. Eustace becomes a big ugly dragon partway through the story as a consequence of his stubbornness and selfishness and all manner of similar things. Later on he wants to turn back into his old self as a little boy but he doesn't know how to do it. So he goes to the great lion Aslan who represents the Christ like Jesus and he takes him to this beautiful well to bathe but because he's a dragon he he can't get into it. So Aslan tells him to take off the scales like a dragon scales and uh, so he begins with the dragon claws tearing off the scales off his body Um, it's like a snake shedding its skin and he tries to get free of all this stuff and he takes off layer after layer throwing it on the ground and he's starting to feel better uh, but he but he thinks um, to himself wait a minute there's there's another layer to these scales like I've, i've already pulled off three layers but there's another layer to it and he tries to get it off and he can't get it off. And finally, he, he just cries out, how many layers do I have to take off? <clears throat> so after uh, like several layers, he gives up, realizing he can't do it himself. And Aslan says to him, um, you're going to need to let me do it. And so here's Eustace's reply and his description of the experience. He said, I was afraid of his claws but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I lay down on my back and I let him do it. And the first tear was so deep that I thought he'd gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. He peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I had done to myself, only that hadn't hurt. There I was, smooth and soft, And Aslan caught hold of me and he threw me into the water and it smarted, but only for a moment. And after that, it was perfectly delicious. And as I started swimming and splashing, I noticed that all the pain had gone from my arm. There'd been a big ring, uh, like a bracelet around his arm that had gone grown tight and caused him a lot of pain. And then I saw why I had turned back into a boy. After that, the lion took me and gave me new clothes to wear. So it's painful, the claws are going in, the water stings and and it's a miserable experience because he feels completely vulnerable, Uh, he feels exposed and it feels dangerous because his lion is ripping flesh off his body and yet it's the only way for him to be transformed back to being a boy again. Henry Cloud and John Townsend in their book Boundaries say this, we change our behavior when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing we change our behavior when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing now many of you know that um, i work as a part-time physiotherapist uh, in private practice and um, and people come to me because they have a pain in their knee their shoulder or their back or some other part of their body and that pain has become unbearable The emotions of uh, distress and anxiety associated with the pain drives them literally to my clinic. Some of them who have been to see me before know that the therapy will likely be painful itself. A painful shoulder does not like being manipulated, Uh, a painful myofascial trigger point doesn't like being pressed but they know that the pain of the therapy will be less than the pain of not doing the therapy. You know, many of us uh, wait too long to address patterns of behavior in our lives that cause pain to us and to those people we have relationship with. Uh, We take painkillers, virtual painkillers, to mask the pain, but they don't really solve the problem. And I'm thinking of stuff that kind of, um, kind of uh, that generates endorphins to be released in our bodies uh, that make us feel good about temporarily until those endorphins disperse. I'm thinking of stuff like. Uh, TV, uh, books, uh, sport, work, religion, shopping, anything basically that distracts us from the reality and fills our time so that we don't have enough time to focus on what's causing that pain. As a result, many of us live with chronic patterns of pain, relational pain, uh, emotional pain in our lives that that damages our relationship with ourselves um, because because it damages our self-esteem and our self-confidence, but it also damages our relationship with God and it also works itself out in damaging relationships with other people. And here's the thing to look for in your own life. Um, These patterns of behavior that are below the surface that we are either unaware of or we try and hide they become very visible when we're under periods of great stress and pressure you know what i mean right you you've got like um you've got i don't know maybe maybe something's going on at work you've got a big project you've got to deliver on and and time's short and you're working right to the to the deadline and the stress there just kind of like forces out all this stuff that you normally can kind of keep contained and hidden from other people um, or maybe you you know you just had a you know a terrible loss, and you're grieving, and again, those emotions come right to the surface here's the thing sadly, many of us wait until we hit rock bottom before we actually start to examine these emotions, these things in our life, but we don't have to we don't have to wait until we hit rock bottom we don't have to wait until our lives completely disintegrate before we can take steps to reform and rebuild our lives you see that's the essence of Jesus's gospel we can be set free from these patterns of behavior that causes so much pain and discontentment in our lives and and we can be set free from them before they completely knock us off our feet if we pay attention to our emotions, if we ask ourselves, what are these emotions telling us about the deeper things going on in our lives, and if we ask ourselves, why am I experiencing these things, then we will start to understand more about what is going on under the surface of our lives. In his book, uh, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, um, he talks about fasting from food, and he makes this really interesting point We cover up what is inside with food and other good things. Uh, But in fasting, these things surface. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear. If they are within us, then they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger, like we're kind of hangry, you know? You know that term where you're hungry and you're angry at the same time. But then we realize that we are angry Because simply, anger exists within us from previous hurts and wounds. I know it's that phrase, good things cover up what's inside. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible that Christians can even use religion to cover up what's inside, what's below the surface? Are some Christians so focused on being morally upright by being diligent in studying the Bible, by serving the vulnerable, by being actively involved in church, are they so focused on all those kind of Christian religious things? And, you know, as church leaders, we encourage people to do those things. So it's partly our responsibility as well. But are we so focused on doing those things that we don't pay attention to the stuff that's going on underneath our surface and ignore what is, is going on underneath the surface? Guys, I want to say this to you that um, for Claire and I and for, for the wider staff team, that we have failed in leading this church if the gospel of Jesus doesn't lead to the transformation of your spiritual and your emotional health, if your spiritual and emotional health is not improving by encountering Jesus, by being part of this church, then we have failed. Of course, our goal as a church, if you remember, is to contribute to the spiritual, social, and cultural renewal, the well-being of our city. And that includes us. It includes everyone. But... Our priority is always emotional and spiritual health. Why? Because everything else flows from that place. And if it doesn't flow from that place, it may end up kind of causing more damage than, than help. Now, we've created lots of courses and events that enable us to stop and examine what is going on under the surface of our lives in the hopes that the gospel of Jesus that w- will result in our spiritual health and our emotional health. Uh, the latest of these resources, and one that we're particularly excited about, is Emotionally Focused. It's, it's what we used to call faith walking. And uh, after today, I think you probably can see why we're calling it Emotionally Focused. And Now, I was talking the other day, and expo- uh, talking about um, Emotionally Focused, uh, the course and the pathway that it is, with my friend Rob Collett, with whom I'm in a triplet with. And so we've talked quite a bit about Emotionally Focused over the last year. And, and Rob said, you know, it sounds like Emotionally Focused this course um, pathway is to seven what the alpha course is to hgb the holy trinity brompton you know the alpha course that um is is world famous Uh, in as much as he said but it sounds like you want everyone to do emotionally focused like hgb want everyone to do alpha and to be honest i think that's possibly true um most of the staff team including myself and claire are on the program or on the pathway and have been for a while Um, And it has such a big impact on our emotional and spiritual health that we would love to make it a core part of what it means to be part of 7 Vineyard. That's not to say it's the only way to improve your your emotional and spiritual health at all. We've got a number of resources and methods and pathways and community groups and so forth. Um, But it's a really effective one. Um, So... Um, what we're going to be doing from this year in partnership with our friends in Bath, at Bath Vineyard, and our friends at Mile High Vineyard in Denver, Colorado, is we're going to start running uh, the first introductory retreat. We used to call it a retreat, but we're calling it a foundation intensive now. It's a Friday evening and a Saturday all day, and it's on Zoom to start with. Uh, so this next one's on Zoom, but we're actually going to do three a year. Um, and uh, the the next one is on Friday 26th of February in the evening. So you spend the evening and then Saturday 27th all day long. And it'll all be on Zoom this time, but we would love you to consider doing that. Now, if you can't do those dates, there are another set of dates in May, and then there'll be another one in October, and then we'll repeat the same next year. And once you've done that introductory course, if this is for you, if you're kind of connecting with it and it resonates with you, then you can then move on to a 24-week, Um, what we call formation course, where you have one hour a week of coaching and one hour fortnight presentation, um, which is really where you start to really unpack and examine, uh, you know, the stuff that kind of underpins our life, all that I've been talking about this morning. So um, can I urge you to not wait until you hit rock bottom in your life uh, to address who you are under the surface? Um, You don't have to crash in order to change. Uh, You can address this stuff now and you can enjoy better emotional and spiritual health in the years to come. And honestly, you will enjoy that. Um, And those with whom you live and you work, your family, your friends, your colleagues, they will also enjoy um, uh, you being emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy as well. So why don't we just pray together and uh, let's pray and just invite the Holy Spirit um, just to start to help us pause and examine what's going on under the surface. Uh, What's gone on in the past um, that is still affecting us, that is still shaping our lives in ways that, um, that aren't necessarily healthy, in ways that don't necessarily bring us life. Let's pray together and do that now.